episode one of the pod. Thanks for joining the program. Sam Pritchard once again is here. That's right. At Thucida, please. I say once again because this is episode one, but we did a little Skype call for the boys earlier. That was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, I did as well. Um, um, This is my ideal... this is my ideal kind of podcast situation, which is uh, uh, yeah. uh, somebody just DM'd me and is like, hey, I'll do all the work. I'll do all the editing and recording. <laughs> right. You right. just have to show up and talk shit. And it's like, well, that's exactly, that's, that's the only way I ever would have done a podcast. So it really worked out. Right. It, yeah. Well, today uh, on the program, we're going to do some coronavirus talk now that um, South South Korea and Italy have been all but totally consumed. Yeah uh cpac was this past week i don't know if you paid attention to that only Uh, uh, minimally yeah before chapo did a big show on it where matt went and took acid and they talked about it for a while before that happened i didn't even really pay attention to it at all but this year uh will sommer on twitter gave a nice rundown of all the uh psychopathic anti-socialism shit that was there so we'll talk about that for a little bit okay um there's a little new york times article that came out that where they had interviewed 93 superdelegates uh, who all agreed basically that, you know, goal number one was to stop Bernie at all costs. Naturally. And then, of course, they were just going to wrap up the episode with some South Carolina primary news. I mean, what what better way to follow that inevitable, if, you know, if admittedly terrible news, with some more terrible news? Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's good because that's going to be the general tenor of uh, any podcast because that is the general tenor. Yeah. Of the hellish yeah. disasterscape we inhabit. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, all it inevitably going to be bad news until the general, probably. Yeah, uh, most there, likely. You know, and I was just there was something yesterday I saw that made me furious, and I remember thinking to myself, "I'm definitely going to talk about this on the podcast tomorrow," or maybe no, I must have had this. I had this thought Friday. And I can no longer remember it because I was extremely drunk at the time. But if it ev- if it does come back, I'll uh, think it was something related yeah. to Guatemala. Oh, yeah. Three, maybe. Just interject. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to do episode one about Cuba uh, because after the South Carolina debate, Cuba once again became... Well, it wasn't even the debate that did it. It was a... Uh, who wrote the first oppo piece about Bernie supporting Castro and stuff? No idea. Remember? Do you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly where the hysteria started. I mean, it's always kind of been there. It's always kind of been around, but it, it was a big issue. And I couldn't find somebody who was competent enough to speak on behalf of Cuba to come on, you know, who wasn't busy or anything like that. So we're right. just going to do another yeah. general rundown because I, I am not the guy to sit here and speak about Cuba for any length of time without feeling like an idiot. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's fine. Yeah, we'll get Carrie on next time. Yeah, that's definitely the plan. Yeah, unfortunately, she's busy this weekend, but we yeah, we'll get her on for sure. All right, so um, I guess with I guess with this COVID nineteen, this COVID nineteen coronavirus, it um, well, I've been told like several different things from you know public health officials and government officials now. Apparently, the World Health Organization doesn't recommend wearing face masks now. Yeah, because uh, it just doesn't do I, very much to protect it, you. Yeah, yeah, con- yeah. Considering the normal mode of 
you know, uh, of uh, uptake of the virus. But I loved, um, there was, I think, I'm going to really make a fool out of myself here, but I think it was an uh, Islamic priest somewhere said that if you put essential oils on your asshole, that's how you, that's how you kind of prevent yourself from getting coronavirus. Did you see this? I didn't, but I can definitely, <laughs> yeah. from experience, recommend against this because really, well, you know, uh, I was using Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap and oh, body wash, yeah. which I fucking love, but oh, that, yeah. it's really got a lot of that peppermint essential oils in it. And, you know, I just switched to it a couple months ago. And then after about a month, I just had like such a persistently dry, itchy, asshole and just general anal region and at first i was like is it just hemorrhoids is it like what's going on here right but um i was just like it just it was parched the skin was just absolutely it was like uh the ashiest asshole imaginable (laughs) and i had to i had to start moisturizing with uh you know with like nivea hand lotion and then (laughs) every time i take a shower i gotta moisturize my asshole yeah no i seriously had to start doing that (laughs) and switch to a softer like a gentler more moisturizing soap and then the problem resolved itself so i would strongly from personal experience recommend uh the aggressive application of any kind of essential oil to your butthole it's uh it's not the way to go yeah well you heard it here first um sam pritchard is islamophobic (laughs) <laughs> and totally disavows all all uh, Islamic preaching in regards to coronavirus. That's right. That's I good. knew we had you on the show for a reason. Uh, to get canceled uh, immediately. Immediately. Uh, okay, so Mike Pence is our virus czar, I yep. guess. Yep. Well, he yeah, has I mean, experience. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, he, he has experience in killing as many people as possible. Right, exactly. With, uh, with viruses. So, I mean, if... if uh, if what Donald Trump himself said is true, that it's a hoax, then maybe, you know, maybe he's on the right track. I I've think... heard, I saw some, conspir- or, uh, some c- c- conspiracy boomer shit about how it's, it was a tool by the deep state to, to I think I wrote it down. It was a, it's a tool by, yeah, it was a, it's, it's a deep state's way of culling the population. Yes, of course. I, I which, always love uh, that, um, the conspiracy theories about depopulation by, uh, like, you know, it. What would the incentive be for the ruling class to have fewer people to exploit and rule over? It never no, makes any sense. Know. But you know, um, I I feel like a lot of that shit, a lot of those conspiracy theories that are just patently ridiculous, are themselves actually psyops by the actual deep state to just yeah. to, to like keep people off the trail of the shit that's actually right out in the open for the most part but yeah. um you know it, it, the actual nefarious shit that they get up to you know just like 9-11 right like bush absolutely fucking did 9-11 but they didn't wire the world trade center with explosives no right? they, yeah they didn't yeah they didn't fucking get some you know 45 year old ex-military guy to go in and plant like C four in the world. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, it, it's um the the solution that all that is always the most likely, especially with nine eleven, is that America deserved it. <laughs> so yeah. Whether whether or not Bush did it, 
we fucking got what we deserve. Yeah. Uh, There's a very strict timeline you can follow from the Gulf War to 9-11. It's always, um, it's funny to me how now as an adult, like, I, I just can't take 9-11 seriously. Like, on some level, you acknowledge that there is just, like, a, a human tragedy component to it. Like, a lot of it, oh, yeah. people well, died. Of but, course. but it's just it's just become a joke unavoidably because yeah it, the way it was politicized the way it was turned into a fucking parody by the right wing like anytime i think of 9-11 like 9-11 is just funny now uh it and it's it's kind of incredible that that transformation took place in such a short amount of time through just yeah. the, the brazen shameless political exploitation of it for so many like, years I- I was 11 when 9-11 happened, and I remember exactly where I was when the news came in. And, you know, I remember exactly what I felt at fucking 11 years old when that shit happened. And now, you know, 19 fucking years later, I'm sitting here and Saudi Arabia tweeted at Canada last year threatening to do 9-11 to them. Yeah. And that was like <laughs> the funniest fucking thing I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's that's just, I guess, a... That video symptom of uh, how just how totally fucked my brain is now. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the video of the uh, the towers collapsing, um, the, like the home movie from uh, somebody watching it happen, and then closing time by Semisonic cuts in right as the second tower starts to fall. <laughs> and nice. It's just really fucking funny. <laughs> like it just makes me laugh my ass off every time. Um, Ben Trotter on Twitter, I think, is the one who created that video, and it's genius. It's a it's a work of art. Yeah. Um, but so coronavirus, uh, I actually saw some news. I'm of course in a coronavirus group DM uh, with of some course. people who actually seem to know what they're talking about, and some news just dropped like a couple hours ago that they did genetic sequencing on the virus that infected the person in Washington who died recently, the 51 year old man. Right. That was the first de- death on U S soil. Wasn't it? Uh, I think so. But, uh, in any case, they think that that virus is a direct descendant of the infection that was sequenced when the first person in Washington, uh, tested positive for it back in January, someone who had flown in from China. Right. 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 So basically what that means is, that person did transmit the virus to other people and it has been circulating unknown in Washington in like the Seattle area for five or six weeks at this point. So that's actually good news because it means that in six weeks, it's only caused a few severe illnesses. Yeah. Or enough for people to recognize they are, they're symptomatic. Right. Exactly. As opposed to just thinking you have the cold or the flu. Um, So if, so if that's the case, that actually, bodes well i mean it it, it, it does it bodes poorly for containment like this is clearly everywhere. oh yeah I, yeah right but it means it's less severe than we thought was uh you know it's definitely on the milder end of the spectrum of possibilities if this is the case about washington that they think yeah well i mean it's like when, when ebola really got uh really got going was that last year a couple years ago a <laughs> couple years ago Yes, a couple years ago, when it really got going, the the main news story was like, hey, if you get Ebola, your body's going to fucking melt, and you're just guaranteed to die, basically. Yeah. As opposed to this, which has like a 96% plus, you know, survival rate. Right. And if the majority of people who have it are are asymptomatic to the point where they just think they have a cold. Yeah. Then, I, you know, I, it, I'm not I, I'm not panicked about it. Right. But I, I, just, I think it's... um. 
I think especially now it, it's happened around the primary season. And I think a discussion about Medicare for all should, you know, should be happening. That isn't happening. Right. And it mostly kills old people. So, you know, it does. Right. And those, I those mean, are people who, you know, Joe Biden just, just doesn't really give a fuck about. I, I, as long as Bernie doesn't get it and die, I think, I think we're golden. We're good. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> the, yeah. The, the Pope got it. So go coronavirus. Uh, Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Who knows? Maybe Biden and Trump will just get wiped out by coronavirus and Bernie yeah. can coast to victory. Yeah. Yeah, we, we we will build Medicare for all on the corpses of coronavirus victims. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hey, it's, it's how it's, if it's how it has to get done, then whatever. Right. Um. I'll, oh, and in also shameless uh, exploitation of coronavirus news. So I occasionally do a little options trading, right? Because I like. Yeah, yeah of course. To, I like to gamble and options. Of, yeah. I also don't feel too bad about options because as a derivative. Uh, technically, you're not getting the surplus value of laborers like you would with the dividends from a stock. Um, yeah. So, like, you're not you're not getting any direct corporate profits coming your way. It's just gambling. You're, you're, on, on yeah, a, you're on. just trying to short. You're you're one stocks. Or no, I mean you can go long as well, but the well, point you can, but yeah, that's not as fun. It's just uh, one layer further abstracted, so it's just more like pure gambling. Uh, yeah, at least that's how I do numbers it. on it's not even gambling on like concrete things. You're just gambling on numbers on a computer terminal. Right, exactly. It's just so far removed from what could actually influence people. Um, and also you can make a lot of money really fast or lose a lot of money really fast. And that's more fun than boring. that's the way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so I put in 150 bucks on Monday and shorted the market and ended up with almost a thousand. So uh, yay, coronavirus. That's um, right get that bread i have a i have a position open so for for tomorrow we'll see what happens i i don't care if it goes up or down as long as it goes way up or way down that's my yeah so i think the sec is now going to listen to this podcast because you (laughs) you're in a group dm about coronavirus yeah and so now and then you just shorted the market so i think this is insider trading it is insider trading um uh I wish there was a way to short uh, shit that happened at CPAC, but it seems like people, it seems like conservatives are so far removed from kind of math and logic that, you know, nothing that happens in that, you know, very special area, the the very special mindset that most people who go to CPAC, nothing that happens in there affects me. And I'm still going to talk about it because CPAC is fucking hilarious to me. It is hilarious. Um, I, I think the, the best way to kind of thematically place this year's CPAC is the big pillar, the big red pillar that said socialism in it when you walk (laughs) in the door and, uh, there, there was an orthopedic surgeon who spoke and said that socialized medicine killed princess Diana. Oh, that's, did you, did you see that? Yeah. Because apparently uh, when she was in the car accident, uh, the the lines were so backed up at the hospital that they didn't get to her in time and she died. Uh, that is an interesting theory. Yeah, I'm sure that's grounded in reality. Yeah, I mean, e- okay, e- even if that were true, you should probably look at the decades of austerity that led up to that. Right. That that would that would cause, you know, the NHS to be in such as, you know, zombified state. I mean, which uh, still is today. 
And it definitely was the queen who killed her anyway. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's why Harry and Meghan bounced. They're like, not again. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Too much blood on your hands. But yeah, I don't they, know. The wait time thing is always ridiculous to me. Like you look at actual in-depth studies and what they find is that for elective and routine stuff, the average wait time is a little bit longer on the NHS than it is in America or Switzerland or, you know, other right. countries that have a mostly private system or entirely private system. But for essential care and for emergency stuff, there's really no difference. So if you're in a position where time is actually critical, there's no there's no difference. And that's with gonna, all the cuts yeah. that the NHS has borne over the last, you know, three decades, really. Right. right? They, they're not going to let you fucking die in the lobby of the hospital. <laughs> no, I mean, that's they're just... going to save your life. It's, what, it's the same thing that happens here, except after they save your life, they're not going to kick you out on the street with thousands of dollars of debt. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's... I mean, we touched on this in the episode zero as well right like this distance that people have from material reality and the layers of ideology that mediate their the way they experience reality right so this is again one of those like like and this is the problem with liberals is they keep thinking that somehow those facts will matter right that the wait times aren't actually that different it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that's not how you persuade people by arguing no. over the facts right like there's a trump guy at my office right he wears his maga socks to work i work in sales now it's like unbelievably normy and like i've never in my life met someone with gout and there's two people on my team who two have people it. with gout yeah and they're both <laughs> and trump guys trump socks to work. yeah yeah they're both they're both the two trump guys they both have gout it's amazing of course um, but so you know, I, I talk with him and like, of course, you know, antagonize him somewhat. But anytime I come back with just like obvious factual evidence that the shit he says is wrong, it doesn't matter. Like there was a, a California bill recently, or maybe it was an executive order. I think it's a bill proposed to extend Medicaid benefits or Medi-Cal to undocumented people, right? And including mm -hmm. the subsidies that come with that. And so this MAGA guy at work was like, did you see this? Did you see this bill that's been proposed to give all illegals free health care in California? And I was like, yeah, that doesn't sound right to me. So yes. <laughs> I Googled it. And of course, it's like, no, it's just extending the same exact Medi-Cal benefits that citizens get to undocumented people as well. So not all of them, only if they qualify. Right. It's still mean right. mean means tested bullshit. Uh, it's right. still underfunded. It just means they're treated the same as everyone else instead of worse. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, if only we had the same kind of health care that they do in Cuba, where I can go down there as an illegal alien and get health care. Yeah, no shit, right? Yeah, if only. Like, don't don't threaten me with a good time, of, you know, <laughs> allowing illegal aliens to uh, get health care. Right. So, you know, and I told this guy, I, I, I showed him the information, right? I demonstrated that his assumptions about it were completely off base and the thought of he, what he thought it was going to cost was completely inaccurate like he was just wrong on all of the basic premises that led to this conclusion of his that this is a terrible unfair bill 
And did that change his mind, realizing that he was wrong in all of his factual premises? No, of course not. Of course not, no. And I even said that to him. I was like, so uh, now that you know that your assumptions about this bill were entirely incorrect, do you feel like you should maybe reevaluate your conclusions? And he was like, no, I still don't like it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's like the guy I've been arguing with on Twitter, at uh, Ben J.R. Webb, two Bs at the end. Hit this guy up. I'm not trying to call him out. Don't brigade this guy. He's actually been very patient and has, and he's actually, actually tries to discuss his viewpoints. But we've been talking for the greater part of two years now, and he's a Republican guy. And um, we, we were talking about, you know, Venezuela, which is something that you, you, it's like step one to talk about socialism is you have to break through this fucking wall of bullshit that surrounds Venezuela. Right. And so we talked about it and I got him to the point where he admitted or at least acknowledged that Western hegemony is the reason that Venezuela's economy collapsed to the point where people were, you know, trying to were revolting against the the state. Right. Because of decades of sanctions and because of how volatile the oil market is, it's, it's easy for us to control basically especially when you consider OPEC and all that kind of shit uh, with, with how volatile the market is. It was, it was so easy for us to destroy it that Venezuela, you know, as a result inevitably collapsed and he admitted that. And then a few, a few DMS later, he said that, you know, regardless of how communism always leads to authoritarianism, it's still communism's fault. Right. E- even if we did it, <laughs> even if I just agreed with you that it's our fault. Yeah. It's still communism's fault. And it's like you, you mentioned liberals, and it's it's like their their entire thing is built on vibes, right? And so Bernie Bernie's harshing their vibes by being angry. It's like we talked about Sadie, whose dad threw a pot roast against the wall the other day, right? And there's like yeah. some kind of aesthetic similarity she sees there, and so that somehow yeah. means that the reality is actually the same yeah yeah bernie getting angry about healthcare is really harshing her vibe yeah. and so to a certain point i'm surprised marianne williamson's campaign never really got off the ground <laughs> because she's campaigning all these talking points about like everybody just chill out man yeah smoke um, a blunt relax honestly she was my second choice after bernie while she was oh yeah, i rates. mean yeah it's like it it's just um, hard it's just hard to imagine her prosecuting american imperialism uh with much (laughs) gusto so and that's really my my main issue at the end of the day is like who's gonna bomb fewer people who's gonna let democracy have a fighting chance in the global south because there are people there who will you know do socialism if the u.s allows it um and And, yeah and you know it's it's been it's been proven to work right in those areas if you just you know go hands off so and if if you actually play ball with them in a global market right and uh i just i liberals put so much emphasis on intelligence and preparation and plans and specifics you know the warren stuff or even just the general anti-bernie sentiment of he's so pie in the sky and it's like look at the two most effective presidents of the last you know um 35 40 years right essentially reagan and w like oh yeah their 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 agendas were terrible but they were effective at implementing them and they were both fucking idiots i mean one of them literally had dementia for half of his presidency right. and the other one was like a proud ignoramus made it literally part of his brand 
that he was yeah you know, <laughs> folks look how stupid i am yeah uh, like i'm not curious i'm not interested I'm gonna, you know, in facts or expertise fuck that shit i'm a good I'm old just boy here to, just here to start a global war and literally you know they are the two most effective presidents at reshaping the political landscape of this country they did it for the worse but not in their minds yeah. right their yeah, agenda they was yeah they did it for the worse but they did it in the ways they said they would do it yeah and that's the thing you know there's a million nerds in washington dc who will crunch the numbers for you once you get into office you don't have to be a fucking number cruncher you just have to be the person who gets there and says figure out a way to make it happen yeah, it's really yeah and it's with this discussion around whether or not bernie can get shit done people are I guess willingly refusing to ad- admit that the presidency is is uh, leaning more towards symbolic than like an actionable position, especially well, when, especially well, especially when you consider how important a cabinet is, and with with how with how much backup you have. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely but, uh, it, it it is it does that. What I said understates. The importance of Congress, obviously, you know, I, I said that you know being a president is a symbol, but uh, it's 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 not gloom and doom to have a presidential candidate who whose policies want to help the most amount of people, and just if 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 your first and only line of defense, which a lot of times it is, your first and only line of defense is, well, he can't get it done. And we talked about pragmatism last time as right. well. Right. But it's, uh, I, I just, I still don't understand when pragmatism became like a good thing like, in, in politics. <laughs> well, when it became something to bludgeon the left with. Yeah. And it's, you know, that that's, pragmatism is what got us austerity, which is what got us, you know, where we are now, basically. And I, I mean, the funny thing is, right, is that, there's basically three theories of change that are currently vying in the Democratic primary for support. There's the Bernie theory of change, which is we're going to motivate people power. We're going to get people out there to put pressure on their representatives. Um, you know, we're going to do this through mass activism. There's the Warren thing of we're going to do this through intelligent planning, expertise, specificity, and um, you know, like accounting acumen. And then yeah, there's, and then there's the Biden theory of we're going to do it by cooperating with Republicans who are going to have a moral epiphany as soon as I get elected. Now of those right. three, they're kind of all magical thinking, but Bernie's is probably the least it's, it's at least theoretically possible. I don't think it would actually happen. I think the American electorate is too disengaged, even under a Bernie presidency to ever, oh, yeah exert that kind of influence uh especially the persistent level of activism it would require you know we we can show up a few million people on one day but uh, we don't keep it up here no it's yeah it's it's, it's never been our that's never been our our uh, deal yeah i mean there's a few moments in our history right of persistent maintained activism like that like the civil rights movement but they're few and far between and i just don't see it happening right now yeah but at least his theory of change is at least uh theoretically possible whereas the other two are just completely divorced from reality that has never been how things get done lyndon johnson 
was not an incredibly effective president because he was a number cruncher. This was a guy who was like, oh, the pants are riding up my bunghole. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, this was a guy who whipped his dick out and slapped it on the table. I mean, allegedly, yeah. actually, literally. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, literally actually did it. Like, this, this, is, this is not a wonk, and he's one of the most effective presidents at all time in marshalling legislation through the Senate. It's not because he had a plan for everything. And it's not because he got the opposition party to go along with him in some kind of, you know, masterful horse trading compromise, you know, ideal yeah. of a bipartisan Senate, right? I mean, well, that that's the difference between like, or it's, it's interesting to talk about the difference between Biden and the guy like FDR who managed to get who who managed to get enough people to coalesce around you know his ideas that you know are 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 the reason that the Tennessee Valley and stuff is is as uh is as populated and affluent as it is today it he he managed to get shit done but his ideals were still populist and more working class yeah but and with Bi- like of course Biden will get shit done with Republicans because he's a fucking Republican yeah, he'll get a lot of bad shit done. Yeah, it's yeah, like if it if if all you want to see are our numbers are like uh you know boxes getting ticked off, then yeah, I guess Biden's your fucking guy. I'd rather have get, nothing happen than bad things happen. Yeah, no, I would I would much rather have four years of a lame duck president, like you know like like Obama was really for his his last four years. Yeah, I I would much rather have have everything grind to a halt in washington so nothing else bad happens yeah absolutely like just just not actively doing evil is such an improvement over the general strategy of the united states and the way it functions both domestically and internationally that that's right. a win man that's right. a fucking win I would if, if if bernie occupies the highest office we're not gonna have we're not gonna be in any more global eternal wars so all, all of the shit uh, that he can control, what? Well, yeah. So I, I'm not huge on Bernie's uh, foreign policy. I don't love it. There's a lot I don't like. I love about Bernie. Yeah, but it's just it. I, I think he he will obviously do less damage than Biden would. Totally. I mean, it's unquestionable he would do the least amount of damage. I think of anyone are, running. Right. Yeah, I think there are some Bernie supporters who are kind of deluding themselves, like the drone program is just going to disappear overnight. First <laughs> yeah, of all, as as, yeah, that's order number one: is get rid of the drone program. Like, first of all, if he even tried to do that, the CIA would fucking blow the back of his skull out, like they did. Yeah, the say, yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we don't like the the institution of the American imperial machine is so much bigger than even the president can. Oh, control. it's beyond the presidency. Oh, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, the president has the most control over it of any individual person, but it's an enormous machine involving millions of people deployed all over the world and trillions of dollars. It's uh, yeah. Bernie is going to end up droning some weddings, right? Like, yeah, it, if you think that's not going to happen, you're deluding yourself. But I do think he'll do it less. And that's a win. Yeah. At least he'll hold his nose while he does it. <laughs> he, he won't do it with like glee and like clap when the bombs hit. You know? Right. And, you know, what I do think he might be able to effectively do is really curtail the regime change impulse. Right. Because that is yeah. a little more controversial. That is a little more uh 
it's something that requires a lot of political commitment and expenditure, and it's not the status quo, right? The status quo is perpetual warfare perpetrated by our special forces and our intelligence community at a, at like a low to moderate level, right? Just continually yeah. droning and spying and, you know, going in and assassinating people with SEAL Team 6. But, right. but regime change is not an ongoing thing. It comes well, up yeah. in bursts. Yeah, and, it, it, it represents an end goal that most of our military action abroad doesn't have. Right. So, so it very much is not the status quo. Yeah, exactly. It's not like an ongoing thing. It's it's a punctuated. So I do think Bernie could maybe, again, just by not acting, <laughs> just by not doing anything. Yeah, right. He, yeah. he could really give some breathing space for, again, democratic and left-wing movements around the world, which the number one threat to them for the last hundred years has been the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean I I think the uh Democrats abroad primary, which I think when that that kicks off around Super Tuesday as well, doesn't it? I think so. I think or, it's, or a, it's been ongoing or something. No, I think it's a Super Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's always been interesting to watch that, but especially when you consider that Bernie crushed Hillary in 2016 among Democrats abroad. Yeah. So I I think that uh, uh especially when you consider our image among people who who are who are outside and who see us from the outside? It's a uh, Bernie. Bernie represents an overwhelming change as far as as far as you know the vision that people have of us. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, I think Trump also represented a change of of how people see us. It was yeah. a change for the worse, but yeah, yeah, having a lot of iced coffee this morning. Uh, Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's cold brew, R.I.P. Uh, rest in peace, Trader Joe, man. What yeah. I mean, what just a un, like in in a deluge of already shit news. I see, you know, R.I.P. Trader Joe trending on Twitter. He was eighty nine though. Seems he like was, he but yeah, he, he can't wait until like November to die. <laughs> <laughs> right. Fucking selfish. Coronavirus got him. Um, it, well, yeah. But yeah, to go back for a minute, you know, we're talking about. CPAC and the distance from reality that those people have and how facts don't persuade people. And this connects with also this idea of socialism abroad and, and left-wing popular movements, the history of them in the 20th and 21st century. <clears throat> I want to just do a little analogy here, right? So there's sure. a libertarian guy in my office, this young, young kid, he's very into like Ron Paul and gold and anti-vax and yeah, I was, I was that guy in 2008. Yeah. I was so, a Ron Paul guy. Yeah. I have some hope for him, but he repeated this common thing for a lot of gold bugs and anti-fiat currency people. He's like, name me a fiat currency that has ever worked that hasn't, you know, failed um, right. ult ultimately. And it's like, well, how about all the ones that are currently in operation? But you, by the way you've defined the argument, you can only evaluate uh, fiat currency as having succeeded or failed after it has come to an end, at which point it has definitionally, well, by your, fiat currency. well by your definition, it has become a failure. <laughs> right. 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 You're, you, you're literally defining the sample to only include currencies that have come to an end. 
and you're defining right. coming to an end as failure. And he was, but like, he just couldn't grasp that. Right. And so at, by the same token, I think with communist and socialist movements and the way people talk about totalitarianism, I mean, first of all, I disagree with evaluating the world's successful socialist regimes as totalitarian generally. Generally. It, yeah. It's also every time socialists won by the ballot box, they got fucking assassinated, right? Like the only ones that were able to survive were the ones that took power through military force and gained a secure position internally with their military. So yeah, yeah, just, yes. So, uh, coming to power globally has always, as far as social districts are concerned, has always involved. Uh, it's successfully coming to power has always involved uh, maintaining. A, a strong coalition within the military that can get you there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that, that that's something that's, I mean, in the U S to me is just totally fucking outside the realm of possibility. I can't, I, I can't even imagine a, a, a necessary number of military personnel, you know, willingly o- overthrowing, you know, the, the presidency. Well, I mean, and, but it you, were... you, you, it's not even the presidency. You'd have to tear down the entire establishment. Yeah, and the reality you, is that's not going to happen until never. Well, unless there's, well, a, I, I don't want to say never. Yeah, uh, until shit gets way worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> way worse until food and water become you know things that people can no longer reliably secure. Yeah, right? and until resources become scarce enough to force them out of their homes onto the streets. Bread prices, right? It's all it's all about the price of yeah. bread. Uh huh. But yeah, you know, you look at, I mean, just. Latin America and Africa in particular, uh, Arbenz in Guatemala, you know, wins a free and fair election. That guy wasn't even a socialist, right? He was like a welfare FDR capitalist. Yeah. yeah. And the CIA still bombed the presidential palace and got uh, armed and trained a bunch of thugs to get him out of office, right? Or, you know, Allende, um, you know, anybody who got elected to power, Lumumba, uh, you know, uh, um, Nkrumah, like anyone who gets there through elections faces violent opposition from the United States. And if if not after the election or, you know, during the election. Right. Yeah, absolutely. If if, if a movement becomes popular, it's on the radar. Just like Hillary saying we should have rigged the Palestinian elections. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's when, when you see shit like. Um, I mean, we'll get to South Carolina later, but when when you see media outlets as soon as as soon as the clock hits seven p.m. Eastern yesterday, when you see media outlets immediately proclaiming Biden the winner, and um, you know, basically crowning him king of the election live on air the second the polls close, that kind of shit. If it were to happen anywhere else, especially considering what has happened in Iowa and the fact that the caucus system still exists at all. If that existed anywhere else, the the OAS would be all over it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no way we would let that shit happen anywhere else. And I mean, to be clear, like announcing him the winner based on exit polls was totally reasonable given uh, the margin of victory. But that's the ver- but that's the point, right? Like things that are reasonable sometimes get treated as you know violations of democracy when it's someone else that we don't like doing yeah, it. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So, you know, you proclaim Biden the winner. Uh I'm going to go ahead and say with 0% of precincts reporting that Bernie Sanders, the Democratic senator from Vermont, will win the California Democratic primary. 
Right. And I'm projecting he will win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no so, shit. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, um, it was South Carolina was never in question. It was for a little bit. I mean, I got optimistic for a while, but then yeah, the, the polls that showed Bernie creeping up were I was I I think Clyburn made that a was huge a level, difference, right? Oh, at the end. I, I, as he does every election. I mean, that fifty percent of people based on the exit polling said that his endorsement. Yeah, they was, vote on Clyburn. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, I get it. I mean, the guy's a titan of South Carolina politics and his, of course, his history and everything. So, but yeah. you know, I mean, without that endorsement. I think Biden still wins, but the margin is a lot closer, which is encouraging from a national perspective because yeah, well, there's there's, not, there aren't Clyburns in every state. Right, exactly. So, and, and they're not going to all endorse Biden. No. So. I mean, it's, it's like you see with Bloomberg, the, the amount of, uh, uh, you know, black mayors and Congress people he's paid off to endorse him. It's, right. It hasn't, hasn't made a dent with black support so far. So, right. you know, I, I, yeah, m- most people don't place the same amount of weight on an endorsement as as South Carolinians do with Clyburn. Right. Yeah. Like there are a few places where someone commands that level of respect and notoriety among the electorate, but it's, it's relatively rare. Although it is interesting that this cycle, there have been two really meaningful endorsements, Clyburn in South Carolina. And then I think the AOC endorsement um, for Bernie on a national level. That to me, I don't know if anybody was on the fence with Bernie and saw the AOC endorsement and was like, okay, that's what I needed. Because I, it seems like before AOC uh, won her election, the people who liked her already liked Bernie. Yeah, but I think there are a lot of libs who really like AOC a lot more than they like uh, her. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Well, because yeah, it, it, when, when you consider her identity and all that. Right, yeah, the aesthetics of it, right? Like, And I, I'm going to yeah, be honest. It, she is way more charismatic than Bernie. Like <laughs> oh, significantly more. Oh yeah. No, uh, if, if we're talking about, you know, if, if the world is a, in a recognizable place, you know, 20 years from now, uh, it's, it's very easy to see her becoming president. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's a much better vessel for the movement than Bernie is. Bernie is oh, like, yeah. Bernie is like, honestly, uh, one of the worst vessels for the he socialist is, yeah. movement you could imagine in the United yeah. States. Yeah, and and for us to use him as a Trojan horse is you know that that is a as good an example of how much energy we have behind a movement as you can give. Right. Like, hey, we'll take what we can get. Like, we need to yeah, make something if, happen. Yeah, this is our guy right now. I know it doesn't look great, but trust us, it's worth it. Um, to try to just get any traction any momentum yeah and uh i mentioned the uh the superdelegates interview that the new york times did recently right and that that kind of really exemplifies the the firewall that the movement is up against and you know after 2016 i thought the reforms they made to the the uh you know the the superdelegate system were you know a good step but when you know, the fact remains that all you have to do to stop a candidate from immediately winning is just prevent him from getting, um, you know, the uh, the majority of the delegates, right? Because if um, uh, somebody mentioned that the the DNC uh, is not beholden to voters, which is t- totally true, they they they're beholden to their own corporate interests, and they're going to do. Uh, Anything, anything within their power to 
to uphold those interests. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and if they do it, like, uh, you know, cause I am preparing myself for it. I was hopeful when South Carolina looked close or like maybe even Bernie could upset that we could have yeah. this thing wrapped up by after super Tuesday. But now it looks more and more plausible that Bernie will win a substantial plurality, but not a majority. And we'll get yeah. rat fucked out of a nomination at the convention because if he doesn't yeah, go in with a majority, he's he's not. There's getting no it. way he leaves as the nominee. There's right. no way. No, he either wins no. on the first ballot or he doesn't win. Period. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they'll destroy the Democratic Party if they do that. Right. Like yeah. it. It will be. There's just like <laughs> for all the talk of party unity, if you if you pick someone especially if there's any kind of significant distance between the number of delegates that Bernie uh-huh. has and then the second place, which will probably be Biden. It's just, it's really, it's going to tear the party apart and they're going to lose massively in 2020. So I'm just already trying to rationalize like how to come to terms with that. <laughs> just pre yeah, I'm, 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 I'm working on it. Uh, if you figure out, if you figure out some coping mechanisms, let me know. Yeah. Well, because you know, I... here's, here's, here's my scenario. Um, so Trump wins in 2020, right after the Democrats self-immolate and there's a recession because of course there is going to be one at some point we've had this incredibly long expansion debt overhang continues uh-huh. to grow, you know, and this is just the nature of capitalism. But so Trump gets reelected, becomes progressively more demented, remains extremely unpopular. Then there's a recession which is the one thing he's really had going for him is the strength of the economy. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you know, and the, the strength of the quote unquote economy. Well, yeah. Because like the people who proclaim the economy to be, you know, strong are generally people who have no idea what it means when they say the economy is strong. Right. I mean, when we talk about the strength of the economy for a big section of the population who are also very overrepresented and who turns out to vote. Oh yeah. Right. So, yeah, with all those caveats in place, it's still it's obviously better for him to have this economy than a recession economy. It, it is. He, yeah. So, you know, realistically, if Trump wins in 2020, he probably, you know, the Republicans, I don't I don't see them winning in 2024 just on the basis of economic turmoil alone. And then hey, AOC can run because she'll be 35 in uh 2021 by the time oh she will i don't i didn't know that yeah she'll she'll turn 35 i said 2021 i meant 2025 she'll turn 35 in october 2024 so oh yeah so yeah yeah, by the time she'd be inaugurated she would be of age yeah exactly so hey you know if if the democratic party torches itself this time around then maybe we get president aoc in 2024 (laughs) and and that, you know, it's the same thing that uh, Zizek said and got in a lot of trouble about with the, the just the dumbest fucking people is that if, you know, maybe Trump winning is not the disaster people think it is. I mean, the one hesitancy I have is what if Bernie gets elected and they're a very likely scenario of a recession happening, which will get immediately pinned on him and may in fact yeah. even be triggered deliberately by like a capital strike, you know? Oh like, yeah. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. For like, sure. Like what they did to Allende in Chile. Right. We know, yeah. we know that they can do this. So well, happened in Cuba as well with like the, uh, 
oil tanker captain just dropped anchor in the middle of the ocean and was like, okay, I'm just going to destroy this entire economy. Right. So, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very likely to happen. Yeah. Or very possible, I'll say, to happen. And that could be a really serious blow to the left at all these people who are excited right now. If they see Bernie win, which is already a huge achievement, and then despite that achievement, the defeat of the movement still comes while he's president. I think a lot of people are going to be really demotivated by that. So that's a major risk. Now, on the other hand, maybe he handles it well and we come out of it and say, wow, you know, Bernie really did a great job managing us through that crisis and having bold plans. And, um, you know, it's a boon to the left, but but it's a it's a risk. It's a risk either way. Yeah, so it is, and it, it it goes back to to people's or to especially I mean my own uh, hesitancy about Bernie uh, is that it's not out of the realm of possibility for him to enact austerity measures during a during an economic turndown. Yeah, and then for for everything to just continue as it was. You got to be prepared for any American politician to stab you in the back. Yeah. Period. Yeah. They're not they're not your friends. They're not celebrities. Yeah, <laughs> they're public. They're public servants who often don't do their job. Just like, just like Bernie is not Sadie Doyle's dad. No, no, he's <laughs> he, also not your friend. He's also not your friend. He's also not your grandpa or your charming uncle. Like whether you like him or dislike him, just leave the parasocial fantasy out of it, right? And yeah. be, be tactical and yeah. and temper your expectations. Yeah, give your parasocial relationship energy to your favorite podcast host. That's right, to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to Sam and to me. If you have any left over, because you know, I, I know, I know where I where I lay my head at night. <laughs> it's Sam's bed. <laughs> yeah, I think if if you if you consider the the superdelegate interview and shit, and the the reality that unless Bernie comes out of California and Texas with over a thousand delegates that you know the 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 likelihood of him walking into the convention with a majority is highly unlikely um i mean i think it's time for i think it's time for some people who kind of profess to be on the more revolutionary side of the movement to start thinking about how they're going to get to milwaukee because I, I think it's it's about to become time for people to solidify the posting to praxis pipeline. Yeah, like like um, you're suggesting like a 68 kind of scenario. Yes, I, I am. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that if if they were to do it, and there were to be enough people in Milwaukee to surround the convention center, and to not let them out until they until they make burn until they make the person with the most votes the candidate, that will it could go one of two ways. Um, do I think the part? Do, do I think the party will, you know, actually listen? No, I don't. But I think it can either, uh, kind of, uh, embolden the movement even more, or it could be uh, a um uh, an Occupy Wall Street type thing where nobody takes it seriously. Yeah, and it becomes a so much for the tolerant left meme. I think. I think if. Uh... Well, I mean, just look at what happened in 68, right? Like that level of chaos was really damaging to the party and especially the extent to which the party ignored that and made backroom deals regardless of the popular uh-huh. outrage. So, um, 
I think the best case scenario would be that it would uh, accelerate the destruction of the Democratic Party if, right. if 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 there were to be action at the convention. Yeah, and because it, 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 if they steal the nomination, they're going to crash and burn anyway. But let's make sure that that it's really seen as overriding yeah. the voice of the people. Yeah, which... and, yeah, and right, we take the we take the control of the movement, and we 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 make it about our voice when it happens instead yeah. of about you know decades of kind of wishy-washy politics and oh this is just the way it goes in america yeah yeah i i I think that's the best case scenario is that if if there were to be action at the convention i think the best case scenario would be that that we make the movement about ourselves which when i say myself i mean working class because i am very working class yeah so that that's the most important thing that could happen at the convention if people were to go and then the left will have more credibility the next time around after the Democrats yes, exactly. fuck it up, right? You know, so yeah, because if if they broker the convention away from Bernie, there's no way they win in 2020. There's no way. Yeah, and because the the people that Bernie has driven out to the polls are not going to vote. And you know, especially when you consider how galvanized Trump's base is, uh, you know, the, there's there's no way willfully overriding the voice of the the left is going to win you an election against against trump's base which has only expanded unfortunately unfortunately yeah Yeah. but also in another four years demographic change will be you know like as the longer time goes on uh oh yeah for sure existing demographic trajectory of the united states is definitely beneficial to the left so yeah I mean, I was th- talking about that with uh, with my wife yesterday <laughs> about how all we got to do is hold on. The problem you know, is we it's have probably, a clock. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, and, and there there is a clock on it, but yeah. So this is the tra- this is the trade off in risk, right? Is that on the one hand, there's the risk of Bernie gets elected in 2020, his presidency is deemed a disaster because of either an engineered recession or one that just happens anyway. Yeah. And the left is kind of discredited and demotivated in America for, you know, at least the next decade. Yeah. For, yeah. For the next decade or so. On the other hand, after FDR. Right. So, and then on the other hand, you have the scenario of Trump wins reelection, completely implodes, right. And empowers the left to take control afterwards but you've had another four years of like active not just no progress on combating ecological collapse but acceleration of ecological collapse right right? so i mean among other things um you know and god knows whatever other fascist bullshit he continues to pull in, in regards to immigration and civil liberties and so on so so there's this real there's this real tangible risk either way either we win and run the chance of being ineffective and discredited and losing power in the medium term or we suffer through however much destruction can happen in four years on the hopes that we can undo it after that so it's 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 a little grim no matter how you look at it i'm not saying either of those things is guaranteed but the risk is substantial yeah, if 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 Bernie wins, his success will depend a lot on how energized the base remains after he wins. Yeah, 
because it's been it's been a rough four years since 2016 for the Bernie base. Yeah. And so if we if we shove him into office and then, you know, put our hands on our head and lean back and go, oh, we did it. You know that. I mean, it's it won't work like that. We have to stay. We have to stay on it. We yeah. have to campaign just as hard for down ballot races. Yeah, because, exactly. you know, h- however much however much the uh, centrist libs say it's more about the Senate and the House, they are true to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, how did like, FDR get so much done? Well, he had like a t- fucking hundred and fifty uh, representative margin in the House. Yeah, he, he was <laughs> able to say, get get, uh you know, bend the knee or get the fuck out of the way. Right. It was like three hundred eighty Democrats to like one hundred and eighty yeah, Republicans that, you, or whatever the fuck, you know, it was not possible to stop him. So, and, you know, I mean, we, yeah, we have to, we got to, we got to campaign hard for uh Shahid Buttar. We, we got to camp, you know, I, I, I think primarying people to the left has, has kind of, especially when you consider the, the, uh, uh, hashtag primary Warren, they got a lot of backlash from liberals, got a lot, it got backlash from, uh, proclaimed progressives as well. Who said, yeah. you know, the idea that we should pro that we should primary Warren is ridiculous. She's been one of the most actionable senators. That may be true, but we should primary everybody to the left. Primary Bernie to the left. Yeah, fuck it. Why not? Who cares? Yeah, like primary every candidate in the House and the Senate to the left. And we have to put the same amount of energy behind those races as we do Bernie. Right. We should that's, absolutely. That's the only be, way to make it stick, really. We should absolutely be contesting everything. Every, yes, every national, every federal election, every local election. Yeah. If, if you, if you are to the left of your current, uh, of your current represented, of your current representative, which is, you know, pretty much guaranteed, you know, you should be doing something about it. Yeah. Voting. Um, also just, you know, just FYI, I looked it up. Yeah. 1936, uh, elections, right? Yeah. Um, the Democrats won 334 seats in the House, and the Republicans won 88. Yeah, so, <laughs> like, yeah. How, how likely are we to see that kind of margin? Uh, we're not uh, I mean, again. No, no. But, but yeah. So, and the, again, this is the 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 Bernie theory of change, right? Like, he is realistic, more realistic in my view than the Warren or Biden theory of change, in that. His theory of change essentially is we just have to fucking win huge. He's yeah. he's right. Yeah, now, absolutely. What's unrealistic is the chance of that happening. Yeah, and the, um, I don't know if you subscribe to Jacobin or not. No, God no. But uh, <laughs> I'm blocked. I do. By, they got me. I'm blocked by most of them on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They they got me like eight months ago. Yeah, th- this this latest issue was really doom and gloom about um not not only. Is it a slim chance that a lot of this shit gets done? But, you know, the fight's going to be hard. And, you know, it, it, I, I was impressed by it be, because uh, they called Medicare for all a one in a million shot that we have to make happen. It is. It is a one Which in a million. Which is true. Yeah. I mean, the, they were right on that. Then they wrote a long, the, somebody wrote a long piece about um, about what usually happens after socialists gain power in the U.S. Uh-huh. Which, you know, there's a short history of it. And a working class representation is non-existent now, but was more existent in the past. And um, it's just, I, I, I was impressed by how, by how cynical they were. 
because if you read other issues, which I know you don't, you're doing fine. <laughs> is that uh, uh is you know they're they're more like we can do it we're gonna do it you know give us your money listen to our podcasts and we're gonna tell you how we're gonna do it right uh, wh- whereas i think the majority of the base especially young people are more way more cynical about about our chances to actually achieve these goals yeah which but you that know. you know I'm, I'm cynical but that doesn't mean i'm not gonna fight right it's that it's that fine uh it's that tightrope walk between realistic skepticism and just becoming totally blackpilled uh yeah and uh it's gonna be it's gonna be hard if uh if the if the nomination gets brokered away from bernie and nobody does anything about it and people just roll over it's gonna be hard for me to not be blackpilled but yeah yeah i mean but yeah again so like i'm i'm just on on wiki social security was passed in 1935 right and it Mm -hmm. was hugely controversial it was a major political fight, and that was with 69 Democrats in the Senate. Nice. And, yeah. you know, like 330 in the House. And even then right. it was a fight to get it done. So right. so imagine totally destroying the healthcare industry. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's going to be... It, we would need super majorities, and it's still going to be difficult after that. So. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to go down without a fight. You know, yeah. some of these some of these firms are worth trillions of dollars. We have they're to. Not just, they're not just going to hand over the keys. No, of course not. I mean, what's the what's the 2020 Senate map look like? I'm going to look it up right now. Sorry, my keyboard is. I don't even want to know. It's fine. Mine's also really loud. I've got the mechanical keyboard with the red LEDs because I'm a fucking. Yeah, I, I um, I had a really nice mechanical keyboard, and then my cat pissed on it and ruined it. <laughs> so then I replaced it with a really cheap mechanical keyboard with like fake knockoff switches. Oh yeah, no, I got that are che- just like incredibly loud. I got the cherries, man. I got the cherries. Yeah, I, I I did, and I got the ones that the the like really clacky ones for for typing. Oh yeah, yeah that, the loudest possible keycaps, please. Yeah, because I don't really game actually. Uh, really. Well, I just have a shitty laptop that like couldn't run anything. Yeah. Other- right. Otherwise, I would. But thank God, I've just been too poor to afford a gaming computer or a console. So yeah. it's been. It's I mean, been, it's, 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 it's like me owning, owning a boat that you just you know it's a hole in the water that you throw money into. <laughs> this is just a a box a box in my you know where my desk sitting next to my desk that I have to keep inserting money into. Yeah. Basically. But yeah, so let's see. I'm looking at the map here, the Senate map for 2020, and it's um, it's not encouraging, right? Like, yeah. it's a lot of Republicans up for election, right? Like, it's definitely way more Republican-held seats are up right now than Democratic-held seats. But the problem right. is they're all fucking... Mississippi and Louisiana and Arkansas and Montana and you know yeah, you, you, Wyoming and shit, right? Like, yeah, you, you're not you're not going to elect a, a progressive senator out of fucking Louisiana. Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, but well, sort yeah. of, sort of, kind, you know, <laughs> in some progressive in some ways, not so much in others. But yeah, like maybe we stand a chance in Georgia, North Carolina, definitely Colorado. I, mean, I, I really thought Stacey Abrams stood a chance. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, she she did, but you know, they they did basically steal it from her, right? 
And Doug Jones is definitely going to lose in Alabama. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely down one. And we would need to pick up then at least uh, four or five to have just a just a bare majority. And I just, I don't know, the map just doesn't. Bernie would no. have to have crazy coattails to make that happen. Yeah. And so unless he does, Medicare for All is dead in the water until at least the next uh, congressional election. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, it's... This is the problem with Elizabeth Warren's kind of uh, incrementalism thing. In my first term, I'll get us halfway there. Like, like that's going to be enough to help her get a second term. Right. And again, it's a like, how does having a priced out specific plan with each step of how to get there laid out in detail, how, how does that help you overcome not having a majority in the Senate? It doesn't. Right, right. They, 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 they can just literally just close their eyes and go, nah, 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 nah. You can have tell all, them the numbers. Yeah, you can have all the they don't detail. Care. And like you, you, you can have this very detailed plan of how you're going to get from A to B, but if it doesn't account for the fact, or or the possibility rather, of not having a majority in the Senate, then your plan is fucking worthless. None of it yeah. mattered. Yeah. Bernie maybe at least has the chance of turning it into a fight that results in further democratic gains in the next yeah. election. But that, yeah, and- I, th- I, I think the whole, though, I won't, I won't say the whole point. The point of it is to have Medicare for all, but I think one of the side effects of not being able to pass it was having these people stand on national TV and say, I, for one am against Medicare for all. I, I prefer to protect health insurance uh, companies. Yeah. So I, I think getting those people out in front, and then using that in further, you know, in further elections as ads against them. Right. Because uh, Medicare for all is four for four in these first four primary states polling, uh, you know, against Majority. the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even it's the, the question. I was kind of surprised by this. It's it's not the, the question isn't like, do you support Medicare for all? It was, do you support uh, removing private health insurance and replacing it with a government option? Not right. not option with a, with a government provided uh, a healthcare system, right? And that has a majority of support in the first four states, including South Carolina, yeah. which is a red state. Yeah, not purple. Unfortunately, so, yeah, right. But yeah, I mean, twenty twenty two, the Senate map, like you could imagine, pickups in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, right, Florida. Maybe. I, 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 I live in Florida, so I very, was very interested in Florida <laughs> politics. And yeah. um, it was uh, it was just oh, it was a miserable election cycle to live in Florida. Yeah. But yeah. So, but, you know, uh, you could you could have like a couple net gain in 2020 and then you yeah. only need a couple more in 2022. But also historically, if Bernie wins, the incumbent president has bad congressional elections. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's uh. If, if Bernie wins, he's going to have to pull off a he, he's going to have to write the ship during a recession or a turn down he's in a way to... that is miraculous, really. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. He's got to pull off a miracle. But so yeah. would the others. So would anybody. It's um, true. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I think that uh, any other of, of these losers who are running, <laughs> if they were to get in, in the same situation, the turn down would be worse. 
because none none of these other fucks are are in any way prepared to deal with that. No, they would. And totally... I, 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 yeah, no, I, I'm not saying Bernie necessarily is. You know, he doesn't have a plan for the recession that's inevitably coming. But n- I mean, it's like w- n- nobody else would be able to weather it at all. He at least would be willing to take the kind of dramatic fiscal measures that would be required to produce a sharp rebound. Right. And literally nobody else is even Warren. I don't think because this is where her wonkishness comes back to bite her because if she's deferring to bourgeois liberal economists, yeah, we just, just bail out the banks again. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, You know, and that's, it's, it's just that that was the sad reality of Obama's presidency because you know, everybody was on board with his campaign. And then as, as soon as he was faced with this issue, time to bail out the banks. Yep. So and I, I could even see bailing them out to some extent. I mean, especially with the Fed, because you can just kind of print money out of thin air. So it doesn't really cost you anything to just supply a bunch of excess liquidity to the banks. Um, yeah. Well, it's mean, like, you know, modern monetary theory. Right, it, which I'm just a big, print more money. I'm a total proponent of MMT. Like I sure. love, I love MMT. So yeah, you could just have the Fed print money and give it to the banks, and that doesn't cost you know the people anything except yeah, in, no, except a little inflation. But in a recession, you're in a deflationary situation anyway, and you need some inflation, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know if if this recession is anything in line with what 2008 was, it'll be a pretty significant deflationary period. Right. So I imagine. So go ahead and bail out the banks with printed fake money. Yeah, just just more, yeah, fake money, yeah. As long Monopoly as you, money. but what you have to do and what we didn't do is bail out actual people. And Yeah, right. And you can bail out the banks as institutions, but you need to uh, put, you know, guillotine those fuckers, right? Like make yeah, a public. Yeah, drag them out. Yeah. Yes. Put those fuckers right. in jail and make a public spectacle of it. So it, you know. Bernie is the only one I could imagine where in addition to the bank bailout, which he will probably be persuaded to pursue in a recession yeah. scenario and honestly yeah. is probably necessary on some level because this is how our fucked up system is structured. Yeah, there's no, there's not really any way to avoid it because because of how everything is wrapped up in private banks. Right. I mean, private banks really control the actual supply of liquid money on on a day-to-day basis right like mm-hmm. credit credit money is created by private banks and that is the majority of actual money circulating in the economy right oh so, yeah the, the vast majority of money in the u.s goes through private bank banking. yeah i mean not just goes through them is created by them yeah sure <laughs> right i mean sure. that's what the, so that's what you consider credit yeah they you really are they really are yeah c- creating money yeah i mean when they when they put out a loan they're just on a database changing the numbers in somebody's bank account from zero to however yeah, much they're yeah, giving them. Yeah, right. And it's and it's quote unquote balanced because it counts as a, a, like the deposit is a liability, but the loan and its repayment is an asset. So, you know, whatever, it doesn't it isn't considered like money printing officially, but it absolutely is in practice. Yeah. The problem is it can disappear. (laughs) If people start defaulting, it disappears. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger and I learned about like what, what the FDIC did, 
I was like, wait, wait a minute. Like th- there's, there's way more money that isn't insured federally. Yeah. So what happens if everybody takes their money out? Yeah. And everybody's like, well, I don't know. And then I was like, wait a minute. So our entire fucking economy is built on the shoulders of, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't happen. I mean, it's insane that we leave money creation, which is such an essential governor of economic activity to yeah. a, just the private banking system instead of governing that centrally. You know, if if the Fed prints money, that money can't just disappear. Right. Right. It doesn't it, it's not affected by defaults because it's not structured as loans. If you just give people money, that money's out there in the economy permanently. Right. Now, when banks give people money, if people default on those loans, then all of a sudden value starts vanishing and you have two thousand eight. Right. So it's it's fucking ridiculous. But anyway, the point being Given that we have this fucking ridiculous system, if there's a recession while Bernie is president, he'll have to bail out the banks. But the only he's the only one I can see pursuing an aggressive fiscal stimulus for regular people and prosecuting bankers, which, so you know, listen, for better or worse, a lot of people really love reward and punishment. And oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Obama's handling of 2008 totally... He, he shit the bed. He did nothing with as far as punishment goes. Right. He he essentially rewarded the people responsible. And, yeah. He, and he didn't reward regular people, and he didn't punish wrongdoers. So, in the basic moral calculus for a lot of Americans, it was a total failure. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. What we need if it were to happen again is like Saturday Night Live, but instead of actual SNL, it's like live from uh, Central Park. It's Saturday night and there's a big podium and everybody, every, like all these banking uh, executives are up in the fucking gallows. <laughs> yeah. And like, it'd be, it'd, yeah, the, Bernie walks by and grabs him by their head and points to him and says, this motherfucker, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. Like these, they, they need to be called out and like made an example of. Right. And like, you know, this guy is the enemy right here. This guy, because and- it, that's, that's what it takes for people to understand. Exactly. It's, it's like, you, yeah, it, it has to be a spectacle. It does. There, you do need some spectacle to it. And that's where the Biden, again, would be totally unprepared because he's like, but we need to work with them. And bankers are yeah. good people, too. Yeah. And Warren would be like, uh, let's not waste our time on spectacle. We need to focus on getting things done. And both yeah. of those things are politically incompetent. Right. Whereas, you know, Bernie... You know, again, this is sort of Bernie's not a political genius. He's just <laughs> with his, he'll say, "I welcome their hatred." Right? He's just parroting FDR. Oh, yeah, FDR's famous line about the banks. But uh, it's better than anything else on offer, and it is more politically competent to just crib from FDR than any of the bullshit compromise attitudes from yeah that from the years since that just hasn't worked at all yeah so it's what i mean is he's not exactly innovating politically but just even resurrecting that strategy would be better than the obama strategy oh yeah uh, for sure yeah and um you know there there's a lot to uh there, there's a lot that happened during during the new deal stuff that that did leave a lot of people behind especially yeah. black people especially but it um the amount of uh kind of 
uh, revitalization of areas of the country that were just totally destroyed is, you know, is something that we have to at least crib from, like you said, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm, that- not, I'm not asking for FDR, too. I'm asking for FDR, you know, new and improved. Right. And we and we need to import that sense of antagonism towards the people at the top. Right? Yes. Yeah. That, that that may be the most important thing that we would need to take from FDR. Yeah. And if, 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 if you can, if you consider uh, most of Bernie's platform as being, you know, impossible to to actually achieve, then then that then that's what becomes obvious is that we have to have the kind of militant uh, a- attitude towards the obvious enemies. Right. And, you know, Bernie does. Uh, he's worked with Stephanie Kelton, the MMT economist from University of Missouri, Kansas City. She's one of the real leaders in modern monetary theory. Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard, I've heard that name. Yeah, she was. And under Bernie chairing the finance committee, she became an advisor. Right. So. Right. You know, if there is a recession, even with a Republican Senate that's going to block basic uh, funding bills, you know, Bernie is maybe the only one bold enough to do the shit like minting a trillion dollar coin and depositing it in the treasury or yeah, whatever. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that kind of finding the legal loopholes to do some crazy yeah. shit. Boom, economy fixed. And if, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, then you can just give that money to regular people be like hey here's your recession paycheck yeah go go spend it go put it into the economy and then it will then you will have a sharp rebound and people yeah. also like getting money and are probably going to vote for someone who just gave them some money <laughs> yeah it's like you know what recession i saw this paycheck in my mailbox we're talking about recession yeah aside from it yeah. being the right thing to do it's politically yeah it's expedient. yeah oh oh no doubt yeah that, that's why yang gang or yang gained any momentum at all because he was literally paying people to vote for him. And to return to our theme of the the ideology mediating people's experience of reality and divorcing them from material reality, right? Like yeah. the idea of what is politically expedient for a Biden or a Warren or a Buttigieg is what we can get Republicans to agree with in the Senate, whereas the idea of what's politically expedient in a Bernie world is what do voters like? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, imagine that, like imagine, imagine basing your uh, entire political platform on democratically approved ideals. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. if you mint a trillion dollar coin and just give people a bunch of free money, Republicans will freak the fuck out. Yeah. But because, yeah, I'm, you know, if it, it, most who people cares? who get a check during a recession aren't going to be like, hmm, I wonder what this is actually going to do to the inner workings of, you know, the Federal fucking Reserve. They don't give Who a cares? shit. I don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a, yeah, they would freak out because, I mean, at, at one point they, they would be like, why don't I think of that? But they also would never, they would never do something like that. And they'll try to demonize him for it. But at the end of the day, like, again, yeah, that's going to drive gonna... a wedge between a lot of voters who actually you know are willing to vote for republicans but if if they get a four thousand dollar check after getting laid off in a recession and bernie bernie says here's your recession relief he's fucking god i I did this and republicans didn't want me to give you this check they're gonna be like fuck okay Uh bernie 2024 
Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, a lot of it rests on the shoulders of uh, MMT. Yeah, and him being. Who thought? <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll, we'll talk about South Carolina for a little bit, I guess. I mean, we, the the shit that came out of South Carolina was what we expected when you can, well, not like what we were hopeful, but I'm not like shocked by what happened. You know, Bernie came out of it with delegates. He's still in the lead with delegates. But the thing that kind of makes, the, the thing that kind of makes it, uh, yeah, uh, turned to ash in my stomach a little is that the media has just coronated Biden as, you know, the front runner now. Right. Like in one state, it's when you consider super Tuesday is, you know, 48 hours away. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I remember looking at the New York times headline as soon as it was called Mm -hmm. and it was South Carolina votes big for Biden or whatever reviving his campaign and giving yeah, him front a, rudder status and that wasn't yeah, like a, it's a launching board for him yeah that wasn't the fucking opinion section that was literally just the the quote-unquote yeah, hard news headline uh-huh like okay yeah he won big that's factual did it revive his campaign and make him the front runner that's pretty fucking speculative but they were all too happy to run with that right yeah and uh i a couple days ago like i think it was uh maybe Thursday or Wednesday, I tweeted, look for media to to call it early for Biden so they can control the narrative as much as possible yeah. uh, between Saturday and Tuesday. Well, honestly, though, I mean, I can't hold it against them for calling it when they did because, you know, the margin was pretty fucking huge in the end. So, yeah. And, you know, they had they had exit polls and shit. So it's, it's not like a caucus where. It, right. As it soon is, as the caucus starts, you call it based on polling. It's it's a. Uh, you know, it's standard practice. It's definitely, I don't think they were unfair yeah. to Bernie in that way, but I, I, but I just I'm, wish I, they would, they would do it for Bernie as well. Yeah. Well, hopefully they will in California and Texas. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. They did have a chance. If, if he can keep everybody out, everybody else out of viability in California. Yeah. Uh, Rachel Maddow, at one point suggested a uh, Bernie Biden ticket or a Biden and Bernie ticket. Ugh. And I, I don't even, I don't even understand where, where you would draw that from ideologically speaking. I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to give Rachel Maddow the benefit of the doubt and say that she speaks from a place of ideology, but I, I just, I, that was just, it was puzzling to me. He looks terrible and he sounds he looks like terrible. Shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, even in his speech after after South Carolina, he just, you know, he sounds like shit. He looks like shit. I, yeah. I cannot imagine him debating Trump. I really can't either. I, I would enjoy posting about it and making podcasts about it. But, uh, like, it, it'd, be, it'd be a total disaster. I mean, it's just going to be watching like, two, two, two <laughs> old perverts with tertiary syphilis. Yeah. You know, I um the the way Trump was in 2016, you know, 2016 Trump is not going to be 2020 Trump. Like I uh yesterday, no, he's um, deteriorated further. Absolutely. Oh god. He uh yeah, yesterday we got Xanax Trump when he gave his speech about coronavirus. <laughs> right. And he he started it by saying, "All right, we did the war. Um we're pulling guys out. Congrats to all the people who killed a lot of folks for us in Afghanistan." <laughs> 
that was so weird that he started a speech that was meant to you know meant to talk about this the gra- the gravity of the coronavirus situation and was like you know spurred by somebody fucking dying to go right. up there and talk for five minutes about all the people that we killed it's, it is it's so weird it was just it, weird it's hilarious how blatantly they just drug him for certain speeches and we've just all accepted it <laughs> like yeah they really sedate him obviously for a lot of you know the quote-unquote important <laughs> presidential moments he, he w- yeah yeah I, I was watching Fucking on I can't remember where I was looking, but they, they, they were they were like normal people who were like, "Is he on something?" Yeah. Because at the speech uh, at the speech yesterday, he was very clearly on something. Yeah, yeah. He, he was fucking dragged out on Xanax. I mean, I I'll give Warren credit. I think she would really effectively out debate him. Uh, yeah. but also she has no path to the nomination, and I don't want her to be president in uh. You know, I'll take her over everybody else except Bernie. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I I can't commit to voting for Warren right now. She's the the nominee. It's but um versus everybody else. Sure, I I am a little annoyed just personally with the hue and cry over on, on Twitter over Warren really laying into Bernie on South Carolina primary night. Right. It's like, you know, for all the for all the bullying and antagonism and everything that we embrace on our side, like, are you really yeah. gonna? Feel- yeah, for us to be like, oh my god, he, Uh-oh. yeah, I, she said that. Uh, you know, she said his ideas are divisive. Can you believe that? How dare she? Like, yeah, where 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 we constantly post, you know, dozens of snake emojis <laughs> under everything she says. Right, like. <laughs> Come on, it's honestly pretty mild, and and I don't I don't think it works with the sort of leftist uh, brand or the Bernie brand to be whiny about people attacking you. Like that's yeah. not a it's, it's hypocritical. It's yeah, yeah, it, it's just not appealing, right? It's just not. It's it, like nobody's going to vote for Bernie because they feel that he's victimized by his opponent no. in the primary <laughs> yeah. criticizing him, right? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're, you're not, you're not like, you're not helping by saying out of one side of your mouth that oh, it's a primary, you should expect this, and then you know on the other side of the coin saying oh, I can't believe she bullied my candidate. Right. Like, just keep it, keep it focused on the material differences. You know, keep it focused yeah. on what, like, like saying she should drop out because she has no path to the nomination. Totally reasonable. Saying, yeah. That's, yeah saying she's wrong to stay in the race in the hopes of a brokered convention. Totally reasonable. Yeah. But just painting it as a woe is me. I can't believe she's being so mean to my granddad. Bernie is like, Oh yeah. Barf. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you dish it out, you should also expect other candidates to do it. I mean, that's always been my belief on Twitter, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I'm fine with arguing with people. I expect it. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. One thing, one thing you have to, I don't know. It's just being thin skinned is not, maybe this is just my personal bias, but I feel like that's one of the least 
compelling traits a person can have is being defensive and uh-huh. skinned. It's just, it's just super, <laughs> it's a huge turnoff. I'm sure we'll talk about this in future episodes, but the extent to which some people on the left are more willing to see conservatives as winnable to our cause than liberals, despite the fact that almost all of them were liberals like fucking six years ago, myself mm, included, right. right? Right. Like, it's weird to me how many people converted from Obama era liberalism to socialism and now think everyone who is still an Obama type liberal is somehow a lost cause totally beyond persuasion, but like Trump supporters aren't. Right. But I think that's honestly mostly driven by the bubble you live in, right? If you if you if, don't if actually all, if, if if all you've ever encountered is, you know, I, I hate to say like an echo chamber, but if if all the people you've ever hung out with, especially you, you lived in DC. So you you hung out with a lot of DC liberal types. Yep. Probably. And so for for the fact to say that those people who influenced you and your current ideology to, to, to say that those people are lost is, you know, folly. It's ignorant. No, some of them are totally winnable. And it's just that familiarity breeds contempt, right? Like all these people who think liberals are a lost cause and Trump voters are the real or or just disenchanted independents or whatever. Right. Are, are the winnable ones. They are people who live in Brooklyn or Los Angeles. Yeah. They right. have liberal family members. Like all they talk to are either leftists or liberals. So of course they see those two things as like the diametric opposition. And then they right. can project a fantasy on all these types of people that they don't actually ever engage with in their daily life. Right. You know, Whereas I, I live in the South and uh, I see a lot of working class whites who are Trump voters and to, and understand their plight because I am a working class white so to to to, uh, to Im- immediately discount uh any any of of the working class as you know and this is why Hillary lost probably was because of the deplorable shit yeah like and, don't don't and her dis- total lack to run a, a, an effective campaign but yeah go ahead yeah like don't discount the disengaged working class people don't discount the conservative working class people and definitely don't fucking discount the liberals who are in the working class, you know, like it's just, it's exactly what you said. Don't count any of those people out. And if you count out liberals specifically and not those other groups, even though they're probably the most likely to come around to socialism, it is purely just your status competition and personal loathing of people in your own life. Yeah, it's and, that, that there. There's been a really gross reaction to the South Carolina thing. Uh, now, this isn't like mainstream Twitter thing, but a lot of people criticizing, you know, black liberals voting for Biden right. in South Carolina is is totally gross to me. Well, they're yeah, I mean, they're just doing it in ridiculous ways. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's it's done in ways where that prove they don't understand how electoralism works. Right. honestly right because i mean give credit to biden he ran a good campaign in south carolina i mean he poured everything he had into that yeah, state he, he did and it'll come back to bite him on tuesday right but yeah you know he they put a lot of work into that state they got Clyburn to endorse and he won big so you know he, he played the game effectively right and to extrapolate from that that like 
those voters are somehow the real enemies of socialism and can never be brought around is just a gigantic overreaction. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of Biden's play in South Carolina and a lot of his play everywhere is that, oh, you know me, you know, I'm not some white collar guy, folks. You know, it's it's me, Joe. I'm your, you know, I'm your I'm your friendly uncle. I'm going to take care of the working class and shit like that. Yeah, it's, absolutely- it's all just it, it's all it's all appeals. Uh, I told I was talking to somebody on uh, Reddit. God bless me. I don't know why the fuck I go on Reddit. <laughs> but I was talking to somebody. I said, gun to your head. Can you name a single Joe Biden policy? No, I can't. You know, I haven't read enough about him, but I know enough about him to know that his entire campaign is like, look, Jack, it's me. I'm Joe. All right. Vote for me. Hey, man. You know Obama. I'm Joe. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's I'm an extension of Obama and I can be Trump. That's his entire campaign. I, like his proposals yeah. are basically non-existent in his campaign's narrative. Right. Um, yeah, he he's not running a campaign of uh, plans or policies. No, no. He's running a campaign of or even uh, values, really. Right. Yeah. He's, he, he, he's running a campaign of, uh, you know, you like you liked Obama. Here I am. Yeah. And, and I, I can, can be Trump. Trump. Yeah. Which he and is that, totally convinced of, I think, delusionally. I agree. Yeah. And I think his voters are as well. Yeah. He's the guy. He's the guy. We're going to beat Trump by well, putting and, up Biden. And listen, there are a lot of black voters in, Calif- in um, South Carolina, of all places, who have a justifiably cynical worldview of like what a white electorate is capable of. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And they think Joe Biden is the kind of guy white people can vote for. White people are never going to vote for Bernie and, you know, make their decision accordingly. So you can't begrudge people who have experienced that to be cynical and have very low expectations of what white voters will accept. Yeah. It's a totally learned experience that comes from seeing people, seeing white voters consistently elect people who are damaging to the working class. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's not coming out of nowhere. No, for sure not. Uh all right, yeah, we we're we're way up there on time now. I wanted to do like an hour, but Oh yeah, you know, well, I, I I figure after we after I after I go through and produce a lot of this, we'll uh yeah we'll cut some stuff. I'm sure. Yeah, I'll cut some stuff. Uh oh, all right, Sam. Thanks for stopping by. Again, we uh I guess I guess at this point you are an official co-host. You've been on every episode of That's the pod. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. Two two yeah hundred percent participation. Um, I had fun. You know, it's uh the conversation flowed through the the shit we wanted to talk about and i i think the best part of of what we've done so far are the, are the tangents that inevitably happen yeah yeah no we've got because some- uh it's it's like you said in episode zero you uh you definitely love talking about yourself <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> I, I no I, fault to you like don't we all love the sound of our content. own voice yeah i do yeah i mean and you know i love it so much i'm gonna sit through an hour and 45 minutes of content to you know to, to pick out the best parts of my own voice. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah guys, uh, thanks for checking out the program. Um, feel free to... Li- I'm, I'm going to post this on YouTube as well with a little bit of video production behind it. Okay, And, cool. you know, it'll be, it'll be cool. But yeah, if you guys have any uh, any suggestions, hit me up on Twitter, at Young Dress Code. Do not, uh, do not email Sam. Uh, nope. Sam is not the producer. Blame me yep. for production issues. 
Um, also, if you don't follow Sam yet, he's at uh, Thucida, please. And I don't know who would be an audience of this pod who follows me, but not Sam. So that's, you know, to even have to mention that is ridiculous, but probably. Yeah. Thanks for checking it out, guys. See you next time.